Hey everyone, I want to thank you for going ahead and listening in right now. My name is Nyla and this is Greener Thoughts. It's the podcast about environmental news, commentary, environmental facts, proactive ways you can protect our planet, and more. This episode topic is all about how research connects deadly heatwave exposure and redlining housing policies. Greener Thoughts is produced every Sunday and Thursday. Please be sure to review Greener Thoughts, favorite it wherever you can, and also share Greener Thoughts. All of these things will ensure that Greener Thoughts grows. You can contact Greener Thoughts by sending me a voice message to anchor.fm forward slash Greener Thoughts podcast forward slash message, or you can send me an email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. So I only have two different uh, episode announcements, and the first one has to do with the NBA legend, the star, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Mr. Kobe Bryant. He was recently killed in a helicopter ride uh, recently, and it's devastating for all um, of us who you know, grew up with him, knew uh, his story, his know family life just what he was as a person um as someone who was who was bigger than life and he he died too soon um it it shocks me even still i couldn't believe the news because this was so um out of the ordinary this this helicopter crash um and and the fact that his daughter was also on board um he just had a, a newborn uh, you know, with his wife, um, you know, not too long ago. And he also has other um, children, you know, that they have. And it's so, you know, sad to see and hear this news. And I I have prayed for their family. Um, I know that this is one of the roughest times, you know, as I know how it is to lose, um, you know, a parent, your dad. It's something, it's it's unreal. And it's it's so devastating, and so um, hearts go out, support goes out. If I had a card, I would mail it to um, their address. Um, it's it's so devastating, and um, I I want for there to be as much processing and support and grieving, whatever it takes for the family, those who support um, the Bryant family. Um, so we at Greener Thoughts, me um, at Greener Thoughts, um, my um, support goes out to the Bryant family and for all the fans that care uh, much about Kobe Bryant and his family and his legacy uh, that he leaves behind. Uh, next, the other announcement is that I want to give thanks to Miss Lily Hawkins from Food and Water Watch. Uh, from recently on Saturday when we talked about uh, different legislations um, that are on the table that we kind of want to get past um, and that support there. And it was great, you know, me meeting with her and and she, you know, meeting up at the local Starbucks. It was great collaboration. I can't wait to exchange more 
um, emails and getting in touch more, recent events um, that um, Ms. Hawkins has planned and everything. I cannot wait. And, you know, as a member of the Green Party, it's going to be really fun, really awesome. I love political events. And uh, for more information on anyone who's interested in learning more about the um, organization, the Food and Water Watch, you can go to foodandwaterwatch.org. So our next segment is entitled uh, Headlines from the Hemispheres. It is a quick briefing on environmental news globally. And so the first headline is all about the Amazon and an amazing um, event, phenomenon that you know makes sense, but I don't think most people realize. So regrowth of logged Amazon forests is much slower than previously thought. You can learn more about that news piece on ENN.com, aka Environmental News Network. So the study was published in the journal Ecology, and this study was performed by scientists at the Federal University of Pará, the Brazilian Agricultural Research Corporation, and also Lancaster University in the United Kingdom. And the study stated that even after 60 years of regrowth, the secondary Amazon forests that were studied by the researchers, they only stored about 40% as much carbon as undisturbed woodlands, uh, which had only about 50 cent, 50 percent percentage um, as much biodiversity. Now, the scientists, they say that it will take, you know, a century, a hundred years for the logged Amazon forests to even begin sequestering as much CO2 as untouched forests. I, um, you know, think that that makes sense. I talked about that very subject about sequestering um, back in December um, when it comes to um, U.S. Uh, wood being uh, cut down and used abroad. So you can check out that podcast as well. Um, regarding the researchers, they say that the ability of the disturbed forests to store carbon dioxide uh, may have been greatly overestimated before. The second headline is that emissions of potent greenhouse gas uh, have shown contradicting reports of huge reductions. You can learn more about that news on ScienceDaily.com in the Science News section. So about the uh, most potent gas, one of the most potent is um, hydrofluorocarbon. It's known as HFC, um, and it's a gas, and it's also um, uh, named HFC-23. Uh, and it's a very dangerous gas, and back in 2015, India and China were thought to be some of the main emitters of this gas, of um, HFC-23, and they, you know, announced that they would have great grand plans uh, to sort of um, uh, abate uh, the emissions that they were producing uh, with that gas or of that gas. And now um, a report, um, you know, that they had um, reported, it had almost completely eliminated uh, HFC 23 emissions um, by uh, 2017, but 
the information, because of that information uh, that was um, reported then, scientists were, of course, hoping that the trend of, of global emissions globally, not just in China and India, would drop by almost 90% between the years 2015 and 2017 and, you know, leave, you know, growth at a standstill. But that's not the case right now. So currently, the group of international researchers, scientists, they've shown in their paper that was published recently um, in the journal Nature Communications, they noted that the concentrations of that toxic gas, uh, HFC-23, were actually increasing at an all-time record in uh, 2018. A quote from uh, Dr. Karen Stanley, who was one of the lead authors of the study in Visiting Research Fellow, they added that, quote, our study finds that it is very likely that China has not been as successful in reducing HFC-23 emissions as reported. However, without additional measurements, we can't be sure whether India has been able to implement its abatement program, end quote. And then the third and last headline is all about a particular substance, which maybe, um, you know, those who happen to be into nail painting, you know, us ladies and everything, this is a new type of discovery. So acetone plus light creates a jet, a green jet fuel additive. That uh, news headline is also from sciencedaily.com in the science news section. So by combining both um, the biomass-derived acetone, because there are um, uh, biomass-derived um, acetones out there, that nail polish remover, by combining that um, and adding light to it to upgrade it um, to uh, higher mass hydrocarbons, it creates a, a generated product that is you know, found domestically. It is found um, in the U.S. and also it can work for essentially any other country that combines biomass derived acetone and simple light. Now uh, it also uh, can be blended with conventional jet fuel to fly uh, while providing environmental benefits and also creating you know jobs at home and you know also securing the nation's you know global leadership when it comes to biodiversity technologies. This can be said of almost any other country that's trying to uh, go that route and uh, deep dive into learning and uh, making new bi uh, bio. Uh, energy efficient technologies. And for the U.S., it will also help uh, improve U.S. energy security. And uh, that emissions article, the, the one uh, that I have, it will go ahead um, that I talked about earlier. Um, I will link that in the show notes. You can check it out and it's on nature.com and I'll link it again in the show notes. So the source for the news for this episode comes from ENN.com, a.k.a. Environmental News Network. Great site for all things eco news. And I want to get into the reason as to why I'm talking about this specific topic. For me, I wanted to talk about it since um, earlier in January, but it's all, you know, falling into place. Um, you know, for everyone, especially in the U.S., housing is a big social issue. Um, not just the cost, but also where you live and, and how you choose to, to make your money to live there. It's a complicated, complex issue. 
And there are millions of Americans who are struggling uh, with their income being stagnant and, you know, unflinching uh, when it comes to that income. And also their pay raises just are really slow to grow. There was a banking site that I went ahead and looked at called uh, Bankrate and actually conducted a recent survey back in uh, December 2018. And it found that more than 60% of Americans said that, they, said that they didn't get a pay raise at their current job or even get a better paying job in the last 12 months. And I'll uh, go ahead and leave that those links in uh, the show notes for you. So we're going to look at, you know, why this is a problem. So, you know, we know that um, economic support is a factor in finding and keeping housing and, and, and that sort of thing. But what about heat waves? What is a natural disaster? Um, how does that affect trying to have housing that you can afford or even your options, even if you're in maybe lower income a, a neighborhood or, or even a middle class neighborhood or something of that uh, sort, we're going to find out in this podcast episode. So I entitled this um, overview in this piece is going to be called the new landmark housing policy study. Straight to the point, we're going to be talking about this amazing groundbreaking research. So I'm going to get to first topic of um, the first thing, which is the overview of the study. So I'm going to give you some quick details, um, really great information about it, and then some of the results, and then proceed forward. So as far as the research, it's historic, like I said before, because it's the first to examine the link between historical housing policies and uh, linking that to disproportionate exposure to current deadly heat waves. This new study examined the link between historic redlining and also current heat islands that happen to be uh, around in different uh, parts of, you know, states, different cities even. And so the study uncovers a bit more things like how temperature fluctuations across different neighborhoods um, is one of the results of racially motivated town planning, which is also called today um, urban planning. As far as uh, urban neighborhoods, they've been denied municipal services and support for home ownership uh, during the mid uh, 20th century. And these places are now the hottest um, areas in 94% of the 108 cities that were analyzed by researchers. So that means 101.52 cities were essentially um, the hottest uh, when it came to temperature um, uh, fluctuations and temperature um, mapping um, in these different neighborhoods, in these urban neighborhoods. So next, I want to uh, proceed on with this extreme heat phenomenon because that will that's what was studied um, in the research. So um, for those who are really unaware, um, extreme heat, it kills a lot of people. It kills hundreds of people um, in, in the United States alone every year, more than any other type of hazardous, hazardous weather event, whether that be other natural events like hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, and this is all according to the Centers for Disease Control. So um, also to add to that, 65,000 people or more or so, um, they go ahead and seek medical care for their excessive heat exposure. Next, I want to 
get to talking about how the research was conducted and what exactly did the research find. So researchers did a bit of mapping uh, using satellite images and data there just to analyze the relationship between summertime surface temperatures on different surfaces that happen to be in neighborhoods. So your concrete, your sidewalk, your roofs, things like that. And redlining in 108 cities across the country, across the U.S., so these deadly uh, urban heat waves, they proportionately affected underserved uh, neighborhoods because of the legacy of racist uh, housing policies, which have denied African-Americans, black folk, um, home ownership, and also basic public services. Um, they also found that nationally, um, the study uh, really found that, you know, formerly uh, redlined neighborhoods are about five degrees Fahrenheit warmer on average uh, than non-redlined uh, neighborhoods. Now, when it comes to exposure to extreme heat, that's also unequal. The temperatures differed in uh, all types of different neighborhoods within the same city, and they varied by about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's a big jump um, in temperature. Now, for mostly uh, low-income neighborhoods and also communities of color, so everyone who is you know, non-white, um, they are mainly affected, and they lived in those urban heat islands, which are defined as you know, being historically places where there's not a lot of green spaces. They're few and far between, and there's low to no tree canopies. You know, there are no trees available. Like I said before, there's, there's more and more concrete sidewalks. There's not enough um, natural uh, green spaces uh, in those urban heat islands in those places where lower income uh, people are to live and are living. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're able to not be able to um, be equipped or prepared with coping, coping uh, with the insurmountable heat that they get in those areas because there's not enough green spaces to absorb it. There's no place for the, the heat or the sun to absorb into because, you know, with the concrete around, it just bounces off um, and gets even hotter rather than with trees in other green spaces where it's able to be absorbed um, by the green. In places like Portland, for example, in, in Oregon, or even Denver, Colorado, the researchers went ahead and found that there was a 12 to 13 Fahrenheit degree difference between formerly redlined and non-redlined neighborhoods compared with 1 to 2 degrees Fahrenheit difference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and also uh, Flint, uh, Michigan. Now, last uh, part before I get to uh, where uh, you can find more about the research article, there is the, um, the information about the lasting effects of redlining today. So redlining is a pretty detrimental um, concept and set of policies that has ravaged the uh, U.S. housing landscape for a long time since the uh, mid to late uh, 20th century. And redlining was actually banned in 1968 with the Fair um, Housing Act. But, you know, the neighborhoods back then that were supposed to be banned and, and having to change, they're still pre, you know, dominantly 
um, home to lower income communities and lower income or communities of color are not uh, to be confused um, and not meaning to be the same, um, those people, people of color are disproportionately affected uh, when it all comes down to it. And so, um, you know, people of color, they face in those, in those places um, environmental hazards and they range in things like lead, um, which we've seen in Flint, Michigan, for example, with the piping, poor water, air quality, overdevelopment um, is another um, effect of redlining and also limited shade, which we talked about a little bit earlier, especially when it came to the um, inability for uh, these places to have green shade, green spaces, parks, trees, um, wide, you know, places where grass is green and growing. Uh, so I want to get to lastly for more information, uh, you can go ahead and check the show notes. I will also leave the research article. You can check out all the charts and information there. I'll leave the direct uh, journal article in the show notes. Now I want to leave you with some notable quotables uh, from the researchers themselves. So quote, the patterns of the lowest temperatures in specific neighborhoods do not occur because of circumstance or coincidence. They are a result of decades of intentional investment in parks, green spaces, trees, transportation, and housing policies that provided cooling services, which also coincide with being wealthier and wider across the country. Neighborhoods are not made equal. We are now seeing how the, those policies are literally killing those most vulnerable to acute heat, end quote. And that was said uh, by Vek Shanda. She is the professor of urban studies and planning at Portland State University, who uh, was the lead in authoring the paper. And then the next quote is from another distinguished professor, quote, this study is a textbook case of how structural racism is in, how structural racism in housing compounds environmental, climate, and health risks. Zip code is still a potent predictor of health and well-being. Environmental vulnerability maps closely with racial injustice. End quote. And that was said of Robert Bullard. He is a distinguished professor of urban planning and environmental policy at Texas Southern University. Do you love Greener Thoughts? Supporting Greener Thoughts ensures more giveaways are available with even more exciting prizes, future Greener Thoughts merchandise, and surprises found only on Greener Thoughts. I greatly appreciate and love all the listeners who have tuned in and who support Greener Thoughts by doing good for the planet. One of the many ways I would love your support is by clicking the second lower link in the show notes of this episode. It's the direct support link for Greener Thoughts. Alright, so when it comes to this topic, I'm so happy that I got to talk about this. I love, um, you know, um, spotlighting or mixing in 
different environmental topics that are sort of clear cut and to the point or maybe informative and applicable every day with uh, sociological topics and social issues that matter and that need to be talked about. You know, this is what I love. This is my background and I love talking about it. I'm glad to go ahead and have, you know, deep dived and, and talked about this uh, issue because, you know, like I said before, housing is a big thing worldwide, especially in the U.S., you know, with the housing market crash of 20, um, of 2008, 20, uh, 2009, um, it was severe. And, you know, even now, um, there seems to be a lot when it comes to the news and even entertainment world where people, um, they talk about the, fu- the public face or black affairs, and they're almost always um, trying to synonymously compare um, black people and, and, and being poor or, or, or something else, or, or, you know, maybe living in a ghetto. And, you know, I got to tell you, not all black people are poor or in the ghetto. So, you know, we need to just cut that narrative. Um, that's not anything on the research because it's not about the research. It's more about the whole picture, um, that, uh, people try to paint black America in or with, and, you know, black folk, are not used exclusively um, or should be used, they shouldn't be used exclusively uh, to um, serve as the poster boy for lower income communities. Unfortunately, there are tons of uh, different communities within Black America where uh, being poor is just what happens. But there are also places in Black America where we are thriving. Prince George's County, um, where I live, um, in Maryland is one of the richest counties in the country. It has its ups and downs. It's very prosperous. And, um, there are tons of green spaces, um, where I live personally. Um, I know that there are also tons of, of black people, black folk who live in other places within the U.S., and we are as diverse as our colors that we come in. We are a, a, a smorgasbord and a coloring box full of crayons of, of experience, crayon, um, proverbial crayons um, that, that tell our story. And we don't need anyone else telling our story. And, you know, the housing history in the U.S. is marred with violence and, you know, systematic policies that have actually prevented black ownership for thousands of people, um, like we talked about in the latter half of the 20th century. They have made their mark and, you know, their, their effects are being, are being felt now. And we need to realize that and come to grips with it. We need to learn as much as we can about this issue. We have to, you know, deep dive into our personal stories and how we're all connected when it comes to our housing. You know, you would, you would learn a lot more um, by having uh, different experiences with your neighbor and they not necessarily look like you, you know, and and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's what um, America should be. It shouldn't be segregated cities now, even more than 50 years later because of the policies that were instituted um, years ago. Um, a personal story, someone I... Um, know as a friend from back in school and university, um, she actually talked about, I think in 2017, back on Facebook, 
Um, she was talking about how she felt like she was being discriminated against um, when she was trying to find herself an apartment in Massachusetts. Um, she's Nigerian. She's a millennial. She's got her money stacked. Like, she's good. And so she shouldn't have a problem. But, you know, there are people who are out there who do not care um, about whether you are able to get housing from them. And, they, and they'll make sure that they don't give you housing. You know, these landlords, these housing and leasing officers, these realtors, these banks and other uh, entities, other or other people, they act as gatekeepers to black people and, and other groups of people. And, you know, they're amassing what we need and they're preventing what we need. We need equitable, attainable access to safe um, housing and... That's my point of my commentary. Now, I know that um, in entertainment recently, one of the um, films I wanted to talk about was Spike Lee's film, which I love um, a lot of his work. I actually got his um, Spike Lee joint collection. Um, my mom had bought it for me for Christmas. And this was, I probably say, um, maybe four Christmases ago or so. And I think for me, you know, with his collection, the Spike Lee joint collection, you'll realize in a lot of his pieces, you'll realize the, the iconic concrete uh, jungle setting, the, you know, the, the effort it takes to rise out of sometimes these cities, these, these urban areas and how it's a rough and doggy dog uh, nature of living in the, in these urban areas and in these cities. And um, sometimes... Um, as of recently, those doggy dog cities are turning more like fields of lily because of something like gentrification, which um, is a is a powerful phenomenon, and it's happening now. Uh, to talk about that more, there are some communities of of uh, housing where it's an issue, and there are plenty of places around the U.S. where it is. Places like Texas, where their cost of living is increasing, yet. Uh, their incomes are increasingly getting smaller as far as the percentage pace uh, that they're increasing. And in places in um, Florida, like Miami and other cities who or, or people who cannot afford to live uh, on the water, they're having to be forced to move elsewhere, sometimes out of the city, sometimes out of the state, just to be able to afford somewhere to live. Uh, places like D.C., about 20 minutes or so for me, they're also feeling the effects uh, widespread. And also New York City, they're feeling the effects of gentrification every single day. And people who have lived there for generations, they're sacrificing unwillingly. Um, they're having to sacrifice and move. And it's not fair and it's not right. Um, in, the, in the book, um, How to Kill a City... Uh, gentrification, inequality, and the fight for the neighborhood, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later, it details cities like New Orleans, Detroit, San Francisco, and also New York City, um, and how they are definitely changing, and they're changing fast. Um, so I want to resolve and conclude with talking a little bit about cultural pluralism which is a sociological term where it describes people who are respecting of each other's values and culture and nature and background and having that exchange of influence positively so that there can be a copacetic 
relations between them. This is where, you know, you have uh, X amount of communities, maybe Ethiopian communities, Chinese communities, Jamaican communities, um, Kenyan communities. Um, you have um, Little Italy and, and all of these neighborhoods, all of these people, all of these cultures, they, they not necessarily blend, but they're understood, they're valued, they're respected. And um, you can go to mass and, and, and have, you can go to mass and you can have a celebration there and you can also go uh, and, and celebrate Lent or you can go and celebrate, um, you know, Palm Sunday and it not be an issue. And you, you don't feel threatened or targeted because of your beliefs or your background. And I feel like even in the housing policy uh, sector and industry, there has to be that same cultural pluralism when it comes to our housing and where we want to see our neighbors and how we want to see them. We want to see them as our, as our friends, as someone we can rely on, as someone we can talk to and not um, people that we feel like we should other them or feel like we should be um, nimbyizing them or, or, or participating in that, you know, not in my backyard mentality. We do not need that in the year 2020. We don't need that mentality at all. Um, we shouldn't go forth with that. We should dismantle the policies, the racist policies that were of yesteryear um, and, and move forward and, and positively uh, impact how we want to see our future. We have to do so now. We can't wait until things get you know worse. Um, and we have to be instrumental in it. We, and we can't wait for anyone else to do that. No matter what generation you are, no matter what generation is listening um, to this message, um, you are able to change your thoughts, your actions, your patterns. Um, no matter how you grew up, you can change. And this is one of the things that you can change. So this is the Mother Earth Minutes where we review in the next few minutes actions that you can take to combat the issue in the episode as well as save Mother Earth. Now, these are some resources that are about housing policies and information, and they're really helpful. I had a fun time, you know, searching uh, for the best ones that I could find, and I'm really proud to go ahead and show you and talk about these resources. The message uh, for this episode is that, you know, the issue of housing is historical. It really is, and it affects the current day politics that we live in today, even worldwide, not just in the US. And so I need for you to be informed. I love reading, I love talking about things. I love, you know, not having that uh, stick your head in the, in the sand uh, problem, you know, mentality. I don't have that. And so I don't want you to have that either. And, you know, everyone needs to live someplace. Everyone needs some place to call home and, Learning about the issue is the first step, and that's the one of the most important. Um, if you, for example, are a landlord or a realtor, or you are someone who um, owns property, and you are seeing some of the effects um, of redlining, even still, maybe you're of the older generation, and you're in your late 60s, 70s, and you've seen, you know, the issue up up close and personal. You know, maybe you think that you're unchanged or unchanging in your views in, in of, of people, but I think you can change. And even for those who aren't of that generation, maybe those are out there who, who are, you know, millennials like myself, 
you can, you know, fresh up and, and increase your um, vocabulary. You can increase your breadth of knowledge. And, you know, I love reading and I love sharing resources, information, research. So I think that this list is amazing and, you know, has some of my favorites on there as well. Recently, as a side note, I went ahead and bought the book Loving uh, Interracial Intimacy in America and the Threat to White Supremacy by Cheryl Cashin, and I love it thus far. I cannot wait to finish reading it. It is amazing, just the um, breadth of information within that book. Um, so I want to get started, and we can talk about uh, the first recommendation that I have, and I hope that you will love it's called The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. The first edition you can uh, get, and it was published in 2018. It's 368 pages, and it's by Richard Rothstein. And as of this podcast episode, it has 607 ratings on Amazon. It's available on paperback um, for $10.99. A U.S. dollars and uh, for hardcover version is thirteen dollars and four cents to about sixteen dollars ninety nine uh, cents U.S. dollars, and it also has Kindle and audiobook versions as well, and it's also uh, sold from other sellers at different prices. Uh, for number two, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the next book, which is How to Kill a City. It's called um, uh, That, uh, uh, How to Kill a City, Gentrification, Inequality, and the Fight for the Neighborhood. It was published in 2018. It's 288 pages, and it was uh, authored by P.E. Moskowitz. And as of this podcast episode, it has 64 ratings on Amazon. Its paperback sells for $13.79. Uh, on uh, US dollars and its hardcover is $17. It also comes in Kindle, audiobook, audio CD versions, and it's also sold from other sellers at uh, different prices. For number three is the new urban crisis, how our cities are increasing inequality, deepening segregation, and failing the middle class and what we can do about it. It was published in 2018 and it's 368 pages and it's by Richard Florida. And as of this podcast episode, it has 49 ratings on Amazon. It uh, is um, able to be bought on paperback uh, for $11.38, um, $11.38 uh, US dollars. And it's hardcover is $16.18 US dollars. It also comes in Kindle, audiobook, MP3, CD versions as well. And it's also sold from other sellers at different uh, prices. Number four is the race for profit, how banks and the real estate industry undermined black home ownership. And it's part of the Justice, Power, and Politics series that they have uh, back from um, being published in 2019, so recently. And um, it has 368 pages. That's how many pages is in the book. And it's more sociology focused. It's by Kianga Yamata Taylor. And it, um, as of this podcast episode, it has 20 ratings on Amazon. 
Uh, for its hardcover, it is $23.49 US dollars, and it's also in Kindle audio CD versions, and it's also sold from other sellers at different prices. Number five is Family Properties, How the Struggle Over Race in Real Estate Transformed Chicago and Urban America. It was published in 2010, and it's 528 pages. It's by Beryl Satter, and as of this podcast episode, it has 47 ratings on Amazon. It's available on paperback for $16.88 U.S. dollars, and it's on hardcover for $10.40 USD currency, and it also comes in Kindle versions. It's also sold from other sellers at different prices. Number six is The Divided City, Poverty and Prosperity in Urban America. Um, It was published in 2018 and it's 344 pages and there's also more uh, sociology type focus to it. And the author is Alan uh, Malak um, or Malak, A-L-A-N, last name Malak. M-A-L-L-A-C-H. As of this podcast episode, it has 12 ratings on Amazon and it's available on paperback for $20.44 US dollars. Um, And it has different Kindle versions available as well. And it also is sold from other sellers at different prices. Number seven is Redlined, a memoir of race, change, and fractured community in 1960s Chicago. It was published in 2018. It's also more uh, sociology focused. So for all my uh, sociologists out there, people who love um, different research and everything, these are the types of books, you know, that are more sociology focused. And it's 256 pages. And it's by Linda Gartz. And as of this podcast episode, it has 84 ratings on Amazon. And it's available on paperback for $11.59 US dollars and it comes in different Kindle versions, and it's also available from other sellers at different prices. Number eight is segregation by design, local politics and inequality in American cities. And it was published in 2018 and it has 282 pages, and it's by Jessica Trunstein. And as of this podcast episode, it has three ratings on Amazon. It's available in paperback for $20.78 US dollars. And on hardcover, it is available and priced at $22.25 US dollars. And it has different Kindle versions available for it. And it's also sold from other sellers at different prices. Number nine is Not in My Neighborhood How Bigotry Shaped a Great American City. It was published in 2010. It's 336 pages, and it's by uh, Antero Pytilla. And as of this podcast episode, it has 69 ratings on Amazon. It's available on paperback for $28.10 US dollars, and on hardcover for $20.14 US dollars. It's um, available and has Kindle versions to it, and it's sold uh, also uh, from other sellers at different prices. Number 10 is the fight for fair housing, causes, consequences, and future implications of the 1968 Federal Fair Housing Act in the first edition. It was published in 2017 and it's 338 pages and it's by Gregory D. Squires. 
And as of this podcast episode, it has um, no ratings on Amazon as of yet. It is available on paperback for $35.16 to about $38.02 US dollars. And it's in hardcover for $180.39 US dollars. And it has different Kindle versions available for it. And it's also sold from other sellers at different prices. Now, last, the last two, my personal favorites and books that I uh, currently own um, in my collection and what, and what I have read um, recently is number 11, um, There Goes the Neighborhood, Racial, Ethnic, and Class Tensions in Four Chicago Neighborhoods and Their Meaning for America. It was published in t- uh, 2007 and it's 240 pages. And the uh, version, the version that I have is the 228 page version. version. And it is by William Julius Wilson. He's the author of When Work Disappears and Richard uh, P. Taub. Uh, as of this podcast episode, it has 13 ratings on Amazon and it's available on paperback for $14 um, US dollars. I bought mine though for $1.87. So that was some time ago. And as far as hardcover, it is $26. Dollars and eighty-three cents U.S. dollars, and it comes in different different Kindle versions as well, and it's sold uh, from other sellers at different prices. As far as Evicted, uh, that is the last twelfth book. Evicted: The Poverty and Profit in the American City, and it was published in twenty seventeen, and it's four hundred forty-eight pages. It's by Matthew Desmond. It's also sociology focused, and Mr. Desmond is a professor of sociology at Princeton University, and he is the author of four books. And as of this podcast episode, it has 1,472 ratings on listings uh, on uh, Amazon. It's available on paperback for $10.99 US dollars. I bought mine for $8.90 on uh, May 13th, back in 2017. And it's on hardcover for $17.70 US dollars. It's available on Kindle and audio versions, and it's also sold from other sellers at different prices. The eco fact of the day is that investing. 1.8 trillion in climate mitigation and, and adaptation over the next decade could yield 7.1 trillion in social and environmental benefits, according to the Global Commission on Adaptation. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in the January-February 2020 issue. Greener Thoughts wants to hear your story. You can self-nominate or nominate an individual who exhibits environmental stewardship and protects the environment. If you volunteer in or work in an environmental company, either way, let Greener Thoughts know. If you want to tell your story and be in for a unique surprise, please send me a voice message. Just click on the third lower link in the show notes.
this is the Eco Company Spotlight, where if you have a environmentally friendly product or service that you want to go ahead and let me know about, get your ideas out there about it, you can let Greener Thoughts know, and you can do so by voice message or emailing, emailing Greener Thoughts. I've been doing reviewing of different eco companies for a while now, since February 2019, and I love it. And there are tons of different companies I've introduced and I've been a part of as far as buying from them and investing, you know, time and, and energy and, you know, getting to share these types of products. And so for now, I have a recent uh, company that I'd love to go ahead and let you know about, and it's called Eco Bags. So Eco Bags is the company that has bags that you will be able to carry your load of groceries, small, medium items in, etc. Uh, tons of things you can be able to carry in Eco Bags. Eco Bags Products Inc. opened for business in 1989 with the goal of making affordable, reusable bags, uh, making sure that reusable becomes a way of life. They introduced their bags at the 1990 Earth Day celebration on 6th Avenue in New York City, and the bags were a hit, and they sold out in four hours. The rest is history. The mission of Eco Bags is to offer thoughtful, ethical, and sustainably sourced, durable, reusable bags that allow people to reduce, reuse, recycle, and reimagine the world we all live in. EcoBags believes in doing business following the principles of leave no trace and do no harm. For EcoBags, they believe in together everyone can, quote, clean up the planet one bag at a time, end quote. As far as the commitment to sustainability that EcoBags has, it's very clear and very apparent that they are certified as a B Corporation, which is a benefit corp that is about putting people and the planet first in their ethos and company-wide uh, while making sure that also their values are never compromised. EcoBags is also a women-owned business. Now regarding their products and their product selection, they carry tons of different bags. They have those for e-shopping, so e-shopping type of um, bags. These are easier for grocery store shopping. They also have kitchen scrubbers. They have lunch bags, new items that they always are carrying, um, printed bags, produce bags, shopping bags. Um, they also, the special uh, string bags, which are really, really neat and uh, a, a great invention that they have. They have their uh, spa and travel bags, their tote bags. Also, they have um, different woven bags that they have and also wine bags. And would, if you would like to contact uh, Eco Bags, you can do so by calling them toll free at their number 1-800-720-2247 or directly at 1-914-944-4557. And they are available Monday through Friday, 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can email them at info at ecobags.com. And you can mail them at 23-25 Spring Street, Suite 302, um, Ossingen, um, New York. That, that's O-S-S-I-N-I-N-G, New York. Zip code is 10562. 
my experience of eco bags has been a delightful one because they are of amazing quality sturdy product bags um very economical great for the price um eco-friendly because they have that reuse there like they talked about very durable they have different types of materials cloth bags they have canvas these type of things that are really great for storage of any kind any type of book any uh, type of um, thing that you can carry maybe a bottle um, groceries anything that you can carry in your hand that you'd rather put in a bag you should use eco bags for and they're great for also shopping. They have netting bags, which are pretty cool. And I love them because they are uh, sustainable. You just reuse them and they come at different price points. So anyone can really uh, be able to afford them. Um, they also are lightweight and very durable and sturdy and they're attractive. And also they are able to um, do wholesale orders. You can use your uh, branding or, or anything of that sort and they will screen print uh, your design on their bags and of course you can buy it that way as well and um, they also have partnered up with Chico Bag that's one of the brands that they know of and I work with a lot and that's with one of the bags that I have I, I, I love it it's very cool because it's one of the string bags that they have and it's so amazing it just rolls up and you can use it um, for carrying just about anything as far as uh, eco bags, you can go ahead and find their products online directly uh, on their website, uh, ecobags.com. They're also available on amazon.com and other retailers online and in other stores across the country and uh, world where available. Eco bags is on the following social media platforms of Facebook at ecobags.com. That's ecobags.com. They're on Instagram at ecobags underscore US, and all of that is lowercase. They're on LinkedIn at ecobags. They're on Pinterest at ecobags brand. They're on Twitter at ecobags, and they're also on YouTube at ecobags video. To contact ecobags, you can go to their website, ecobags.com, and you can click contact us under the information section, or you can go ahead and view contact. Uh, at the bottom of their website to contact them as well. Thank you for listening and thank you for um, getting in tune with this topic. This topic is, I think, a topic that, you know, not everyone is familiar with or maybe they don't want to talk about it and maybe it can be difficult as far as the conversation, but it needs to be had. It doesn't matter. This is, when it comes to the U.S., this is something that we as Americans, we have to grapple with. We have to, to grapple with socioeconomic factors like class, like ethnicity, like health, for example. That's another thing people have to grapple with. And, and also other things as well, like education. But, you know... It's a process of getting there. We still have more to go. We've 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 gone a lot far as a, as as people in this country, but we have a long way to go. And with the information packed in this podcast episode, I really want to um just let you all know that this is something to share. Um I'm really excited just about every podcast episode I do. Um but this one 
the ones that happen to do with social issues, they really touch my heart and they are a soft spot um, for me. So thank you again for listening, everyone who's listening to Greener Thoughts and for supporting Greener Thoughts by listening and sharing and, and sending voice messages and emails and other things. So you all take care and be well. Until next time in the next podcast episode coming up soon, you all take care of yourselves and go ahead and take care of yourselves at all, all time. Take care of yourselves and also be sure to take care of the planet. Bye.